Good evening. Today was Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, and as I've said to you from the Arizal, that each and every month has a different lineup of the Yudke, the Shem Yudke Vavke. In other words, one month it could be spelled like Nisan Yudke Vavke, like in the regular order. But every other month, there is a different position of the Yud or the Hey in the lineup. The Shem for Tammuz is Ze Einenu Shoivili. Ze begins with a, ends with a Hey. Einenu is a Vav. The last letter of Shoive is a Hey. And Lee is a Yud. So it's exactly in the opposite order of being in line, Kisidron. In other words, Kisidron means Yud, K, Vav, K. But if it's backwards, like it is for Tamas, K, Vav, K, Yud, the Arizal says that it brings Midas Hadin. And the month of Thomas indeed is a bad month. That's how so much negativity was able to happen to Qual Yisrael with the Eagle and with the the uh, the Luchos were broken and many things that happened in Thomas was because it was under this negative influence of how the Shemavaya is lined up. And he says, who said this Pasuk? It was Haman. He came home and he bragged to his family how rich he was and how many children and family members there were, in other words, to say he has everything. But then he said, and he said, Esther invited me to the Suda, only me, not anyone else, just Achashverosh, Esther, and myself. But v'cholzeh, all of this, a nenu shoive is not worth a thing, lee, to me. Uh, as long as I see this guy, Mordechai, this yid, Mordechai, sitting by the shar, by the gate of the city. So with that, the Arizal says, he pulled down on him that suddenly from riding so high, he now was in big trouble, and he ended up getting killed the next day. As a matter of fact, the uh, result says that a yid should never take a haircut by a goy, because if he does, the goy takes away from him the tzelem elokim that every yid has inherent in his com composition. Ruchnius and his spiritual makeup, that if the Goy gives him the haircut, he takes it away from him. So Reb Chaim Vital, his star Talmud, asked him on the spot that how could it be that if the Goy gives the haircut, that suddenly everything is lost, his whole Selim Elohim, that we see that the Gemara says that Esther closed all of the barber shops in Shushan to force and compel Haman to give Mordechai a haircut, which when the king said, do for him everything that you have enumerated and that, so he, he had to give him a haircut. And if all the barber shops were closed so that he was forced to do it himself, which he did. So asked Reb Chaim Vital that Rebbe, he said to Rizal, you just said that if someone gives a yid a haircut, a goy, he loses his tzelem elokim. How did Mordechai allow himself to take a haircut by Haman? So the Rizal answered and said that if you knew that the Goy is going to die within the next 30 days, then he cannot take away his Tzelem Elohim. And Mordechai and Esther were not just Bali Ruach HaKodesh but, and Basco, but they were Nevi'im. So they knew that Haman was going to be very shortly killed. So therefore, since he wasn't going to live the next 30 days, 
she could use him as the barber for Mordechai and the Selim Elohim would not disappear. And Arizal said that for a doctor, a dentist, anybody could use a goy, but not for haircuts, because haircuts go into a separate category. That's why if you take your finger and you put it into your eye, you're going to flinch. It's going to hurt. But if somebody cuts the hair, he doesn't have any pain because the hair has certain ruchnias to it. And I'm not going to go into a long discussion about that, but the point suffice it to say that the month of Tammuz brought Haman down, and that's how he was killed uh, the very next day when he went to the party and ended up being hung. So it's not a month of mazel. The Rizal says it goes for six weeks from Rosh Chodesh Tammuz until Kamisha Osar Be'ov. And then it returns in its full flourish and glory to be of service with chesed and rachman for Klal Yisrael. Now the Belzer Rebbe once asked, you know, our parsha is Koirach, and we all know what happened. And he asked, why was it that there had to be such a unnatural death to the people. The earth opened and the people flew in and that's how they died. I mean, why not, why did you need this supernatural nest that nobody ever died before like that or after died like that? So he answered and said, because over here we have to prove a point that Moshe Rabbeinu was the appointed one and Hashem wanted him indeed and it came from God, it didn't come from anyone else. And had they all died and just simply dropped dead at the same time, the sarcasts, the, the cynics, and those with all of the sarcasm would have said, well, it's unusual that everyone should suddenly have a heart attack and die, but it happened like that, so you don't have any proof that Moshe was appointed by Hashem. Because maybe it was natural, it was just a coincidence that they all died from the heart attack. But they couldn't say it was just a coincidence if the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the people that was so unnatural that that's the only way that the message that the Belzarebbe could have been understood and grasped to prove their point. Now, the Arizal says that on the first Shabbos of creation, the world was experiencing the first Shabbos, and the Medrash says that the Perek, the chapter of Mizmor Shir, Leoma Shabbos, which we say, we say it Friday night, right after Lachadodi, we say it Shabbos morning in Pesuke de Zimra, and we say it after Musaf or after Shachas, whenever your whatever your Nusach is, um, we say the Perek for the Yom, the Shir Shal Yom, again, Mizmer Shil Yom HaShabbos. So there's a debate in the Medrash who wrote it. Some say it was Adam Arishon himself in experiencing the first Shabbos on earth that he said it. There's another opinion in the Medrash that it was the angels who came before our Kodesh Baruch Hu. But regardless of who authored the Mizmor Shiliyom HaShabbos, everyone agrees that the words are the exact words of what was said on that first Shabbos. Now, 
one of the things, one of the psukim is tzaddik katomar yifrach. You see, Korach was not the world's biggest fool. I mean, he saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was doing the leading and Hashem wanted him to, so why did he pick a fight that cost him his life? Because he held, he was a levy. And koyanim are chesed, leviim are din, that's why we have to, they are subservient to the koyanim, because din Gevura has to bend over and yield the way, the right of way to the Koyanim, the Chesed, that the Chesed should be dominant. But Liosid Lovo, the power of Levium will supersede the power of Koyanim. And Korach knew that. And he felt that since this is the destined Hanhoga in the world, that he wanted to push the issue that it should happen now. But the Medrash says, Ochla Poga, he ate it when it was not ripe. Like you take a banana that in full flourish, it could be tasty and soft and yellow, you know, but if it's dark green, you know that it's still not ripe. It's not the time to eat it. And that's what the, Gemara, the Medrash says on Koirach, Och Poga, he ate it when it was absolutely unripe for the time. And that's why he lost his life together with his 250 people. And the Pasuk says, Tzadik Katomar Yifrach, that the Tzadik, Katomer, like a date tree that's resilient, Yifroch will sprout forth. Now the word Yifroch, to sprout and flourish, is a lotion of Osid, future tense. And that's what the Pasuk, they were made, that Koirach, Tzadik Katomer, Yifroch, that his Kavana will flourish and come forth at some point. Yifrach and a lotion of Asidus, future. And they were made that even though he was not at the proper time, but what he wanted to accomplish indeed will happen for the world after the Geula Shlema and Mashiach comes. So it was already stated with the vision and the full force of the first Shabbos that Koirach will have the center stage, the Indian of Levia over Kahuna. And that's what it, that was the issue he was trying to force. But unfortunately, it was not the proper time. Now, we know that he had 250 people and there were some tzaddikim, the Yismach Moshe and others who said that they remembered the whole controversy that they lived at the time. Just like the Arizal says that before Mashiach, which is our generation, whether Mashiach comes tomorrow or he comes in 10 years, but it's the last generation before Mashiach, as all the signs show. Um, the Arizal says that all the neshamas of the Yidden who were in Mitzrayim will be reconceived and come to life in the generation before Mashiach, which means all of us could have been in Mitzrayim and we were worked and we went out by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim so the, the concept is that all of the Yidden who lived at that time were at such a high madrega that these Sadiqim said that they were from the people who did not take sides. Why, if they were tzaddikim, 
Why didn't they take Moshe Rabbeinu aside? They said because the Nisoyan was so great and the others were so unshamed. They were like great people, the 250. And, and you see that, that from the entire Persia, that they had a level of Kedusha and everything. And it wasn't as simple as we look at the story. Now, the, an example that the Pasuk says, Own ben Peles b'nei Reuven, and the Medrash is replete with the story of On ben Peles, his wife said to him, listen, you're a nobody. What are you going to gain, whether Koirach wins or Moshe wins? You're a loser either way. You're not going to become the Kohen Kotl. And he said, you know, you have a point, but I committed to go with them. She said, leave it up to me. And she gave him wine to drink, and he fell asleep. And an hour or two later, the crowd came to pick uh, Own Ben Pelis up and to proceed with their plan. And Own Ben Pelis was sleeping, and the wife was on the porch, and the Medrash says when they turned the corner of the 250 people that she pulled off her shaitel, and they saw a woman with uncovered hair. They all ran away, and that's how she saved them. And the Pusik says in the Medrash, they bring the Pusik, Chochmas Noshim Bonsabesa, that the Chochma of a woman built her house because she had a husband. He was still alive after the story. And he didn't, so she saved her husband. But the Gemara asks, when it has a discussion about the names of people like Dosan and Aviram, the Gemara says that was not their real names. So why do we call him Dosan? Because he was Mavra the Das Elyon. That means he did things that HaKadosh Baruch was not happy with, that he transgressed Das Elyon and did things that were considered very bad. So he got the name Dosan. And Aviron was called Aviron because he was Mavir, the Das of people, by doing Averis. Mavir. So on the name Om Ben Pelas, the Gemara says that was not his name. But why was he called for the rest of his life? And the Torah calls him also Om Ben Pelas. Om. Because we know there's two things there's Aninus and there's Avelus. Lo aleinu lo aleichem, no yid should have to experience it. But when they get word that a mother or a father died, or a sister, or a brother, or a child, lo aleinu lo aleichem, they go into a state of aninus. It's not avelus. Avelus is after they bury the person, then they become avelim. And that's why immediately... There is a line that is formed, and the other walks through. We say, Hamakam Yenachem Eschem, because the Nechama we give to the person is when they're an oval, not when they're an Oinein. Told the funeral, the person is an Oinein, he doesn't even make a bracha, he doesn't do any mitzvah say. So if he eats a tuna fish sandwich, he just takes the tuna fish, doesn't wash the tilesia dime, doesn't make a bracha, doesn't bench, he just eats the tuna fish sandwich. And that's called aninus. So the Chazal say that Mrs. Own Ben Pelas, she wanted to save her, her husband. So she went into a very lengthy discussion that you're nobody and you will remain nobody whether regardless of who wins. So she convinced him not to participate. But the way she said it was so vigorous and so biting 
that it remained his state of mind as an oinin. What What's the state of mind of an oinin? He's worried about the funeral when it's going to begin and notifying the rov or the shul that the, the Leviah should have people there attending and all of that. So that's called the state of Aninus. And that's why he's popped from mitzvahs because he's so mixed up and he's so from the shock of the death and all that just hit him. So he can't think straight in a certain sense. So she wanted to convince him not to participate, but she went too far. She broke his spirit so badly in what she said that he remained in a state of aninus the rest of his life. She was so tough on him that he couldn't pick himself up back to a state of happiness and peacefulness. His life was saved, but she dug into him with a icy tongue that was so stinging that his spirit was broken. And what we learned from it is that we could sometimes legitimately say things to a person for his good. In other words, she wasn't trying to hurt him. She was trying to convince him to, to stay out of it. And she ended up saving his life. But even with the best of intention, we can't go overboard into a position of breaking the person and his spirit so badly and trying to make our point for his good. That he remained, the good comes, but the spirit remains down the rest of his life. And that is what happened with own Ben Pellis. Now, we know that even after seeing such a thing, 250, and the, the Chazal say, look in Perkegavos, that the Pihar, it's that opening where it swallowed the people up, was created, Sheshis Yumei He was already destined that that's the spot where the people are going to be swallowed up. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, do not turn to their mincha, because they all brought the frying pans with the kitaris, don't turn to their korban, and to their tefillahs. Now, if it says that the pihar, it's the opening of the earth was created in this first, week of creation. So it was destined that there was Shoem and it's going to end up happening. So what was Moshe Rabbeinu talking about? Hashem, don't be convinced by them. Don't look at their mincha that they're bringing and be influenced by it. How could that be? These were Rishoyim. Why? In other words, they were at a high madrega, but they, the actual story they were Rishoyim, and the Pasuk calls them Rishoyim. So around a year ago, I said to you that the power of tefillah, of davening, can change anything. And Moshe Rabbeinu knew that. That here they were, and instead there was something prepared Two and a half thousand years before when the world was created that this is where these people are going to be buried. And they were Rishoyim and they were taking on HaKadosh Baruch Hu really because they knew that he asked Moshe Rabbeinu to lead the people and guide the people. So it wasn't just taking on Moshe Rabbeinu, it was taking on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yet Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid if they end up davening and they end up bringing the korban, that that's going to sway HaKadosh Baruch Hu and leave them alive. 
And I told you then that the mother of the Koyen Godel, for those who committed murder unintentionally, and had to go off to an Ori Mikla, to a city of refuge, and there were six of them, and plus all the Ori Halavim, the 42 cities of the Levium, they could run to also, but they had to remain there until the Koyen Godel died. Now the Kohen Godel, the Gemara says, his mother, that the mother of all of the Kohenim Gadon used to go visit the Uri Miklot because they wanted to bring food and sweets and clothing, different things for them to sweeten the pot, to sway them, to bribe them that they shouldn't daven for the death of their, their son. Because that was the only way they were going back home when the Kohen Gadol died. So the Mephorshim asked, what, the Yerushalmi asks, what was the mother of the Kohen Gadol worried about? A curse from people doesn't happen. Rarely does it happen. They're tzaddikim, gemurim, they're cursed, that's something else, but not... And... The Yerushalmi answers and says, Verachamim, that with davening, the Koyen Godel didn't curse. The people in the, in the, in the Ori Miklot, they didn't curse. They davened that the Koyen Godel should die, and davening could do it. So the power of davening, and it also the Yerushalmi says that on Tisha B'av, we could even say, the Shachanara says, Mazel tov for a shidduch, because shami kadmenu acher. Then maybe somebody else will grab the shidduch, so you shouldn't wait to the day after Tisha B'Av to say mazel tov. If it's concluded on Tisha, say mazel. You can't drink, you can't drink l'chayim, but you can at least uh, solidify the shidduch, and you say mazel tov like it's happening. So the point being, says Yerushalmi, that it's true that our boyim yom kodem yitziras havlad, machrizin vas ploni leploni was predestined vasher, and it should be. So what do you mean somebody else will come and snatch away the the shidduch? So the Yerushalmi says barachamim that a person could be destined forty days before conception and end up not marrying the person that they have to marry because they lost the shidduch because of davening. That another person who wants that girl could daven and daven very fervently for it and could end up with it. So we don't want to wait the extra day. We say mazel tov right now. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu said to our don't turn to their davening or their mincha because this should be a Kiddush Hashem that these 250 people who took me on, meaning HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there has to be a demonstration and a public acknowledgement by the whole Klai Yisrael seeing what happens to them and what they have done. Now, the after and part of what I just said to you is from the Ramban, who asked, "What did he have to daven this and that? It was predestined to that." So that's what he says, because their davening could have stopped the whole show. Now, we know that after, they came with 250 frying pans, they put Ketoris in it, and the fire came down. And... And they were killed. 
Now, right after that story, Akadosh Baruch Hu told Elazar, the son of Aaron, to take the frying pans and put it on the Mizbeach Kikadesha because they became holy in nerds once they wanted to be makrit. Ketorist HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it became holy. So you can't just throw them in the garbage or, or just get rid of it. But they had to put them on the actual Mizbeach. So the Meforshim asked, why was it Aaron was living? So why didn't Aaron take the 250 frying pans? So the Chazal say, because it would have been a reminder to Aaron about his two sons, Nadav and Aviyu, who died. What did they do? They took Ketoris and Eish Zara, the Pasuk says, and they brought it and they died. They were consumed. They were, they had the biggest kavana. They were bigger than Moshe and Aaron. They were, uh, but with all the big kavana, they were never told to do it. And it was called, as the Pasuk says, Eish Zara. It was a strange fire. Asher lot siva osam. They were not told to do it. And they paid with their lives. So that's what happened with Nadav and Aviyu. And had HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Aaron to take the frying pans, that would have been painful because he would have been reminded of how his two sons, with also Ash Zara, died. So therefore, Elazar, Aaron's son, was told to take the frying pans and to go in. And that really is a lesson for each and every one of us, because we could be giving a speech to a group of people and talk about children to the people and not think for a moment that maybe there's three women in this crowd listening to this speech who have no children. They couldn't have children. They don't have children. So it can open a wound. And that's the message from this, why he didn't ask Aaron to take the frying pans, because it would have reminded him of his children who died, Nadav and Abiyu. But rather the son, Elazar, was told, because they were already, they became holy, they had to be used accordingly because they were sanctified and holy. And in, even in our speeches, when we speak about people, we have to sensitize ourselves to who may be sitting there in the, in the audience, listening. You know, I have a minute to my guests on Shabbos. I never ask them questions. I ask them only one question, what their Hebrew name is. So I should be able to say L'chaim. But many people, when they come in as a new guest, they'll ask, well, where do you live? And are you married? Are you divorced? Are you... They start asking questions that make the person very uncomfortable. So sometimes somebody asks me about one of my guests, and I say, I'll tell you the truth, I don't know the answer. Oh, I thought he was eating by you for the last 10 years. I, yes, he is. But I never asked him because I didn't want him to be uncomfortable. So I try, and I hope each and every one of you will try to be sensitive to your surroundings and opening your eyes to what may make somebody else uncomfortable when you innocently, you're not out to hurt somebody's feelings, but you may do it inadvertently, meaning well, but going into an area that somebody is going to be hurt or to feel very uncomfortable. Now, the Rashbam says an interesting thing because after this story, the whole Klai Yisrael saw the miracle that 250 people were swallowed up into the earth. 
And they still started off with Moshe Rabbeinu. Atem hamitem You're a messenger of death. You're killing out the people. Now another 250. They blamed him. He didn't start up. They started up. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, you know what? What's going to bring finalization to this whole discussion? If your leadership or Aaron's leadership are in question, tell every one of the Shvotim that every Shevet had a staff, a Shevet, meaning a rod, a stick, and that each one of the Shvotim should take their Shevet and go into the oil moed and to put them in a circle and let's see whose staff will blossom for. And there were three things that happened. There was blossoming with flowers and then there was the the budding and then the almonds came out. So there were like three stages of what it was. Now the famous Rashbam asks that and says that the blossoming with the, the leaves, the flowers came when it was in the oil moye. Once everyone took out and picked up their staff, that's when the budding and the almonds came, which was only Aaron. So asks the Rashbam, if that's what happened, why didn't they put, why didn't they just come with their staff and let it blossom, bud, and almonds? all while they're holding it. Why did it have to be put into the oil moye? And then in the oil moye, the flower, the process, the blossoming began. Then they took their staff and that's when it budded and when it produced the almonds. Why did they have to first put it in? So he answered and said, and says, that every time we do something which is l'shem shamayim, it has to have a, a dvar kedushas. It has to have some aspect which is pure ruchnius. And what he means to say is that let's say you have a delicious luncheon and you've gathered a group for whatever the case may be, it could be a group of doctors and you want to discuss a medical issue, or you want to discuss legal ethics with a group of lawyers. Put a pushka out that everyone should put a coin in before you begin the discussion. Or say a short two-minute Devar Torah, which elevates the entire session says the Rashbam that they had to first put their staffs into the oil moyed, and it was drenched with the kedusha of the oil moyed. Then you can take it out to the world and have it proceed very successfully because you began with a foundation of kedusha. And that's why it had to first be put into the oil moed, and it had to produce some sort of flower and blossoming, and then the bud outside and everything you wanted to show the people. Now, the Pusik says, as a matter of fact, Ramosh Feinstein discussed once, and I think it's in his Sefer, that the normal natural way 
is for a tree to have flower, flowers or leaves, and before the budding or the fruit comes out, the flower or the leaf falls off. But when Aaron took his staff, the flowers were already on because it was in the oil moid. And when he took it, the flowers stayed on and then the budding and then the almonds. So Ramosha Zechron Levracha said that once it began with the process of supernatural, it was a miracle above and beyond. Stick has almonds coming out of it and all that. So then it was um, in a position of miracle. So anything could happen. Once the whole process is involved with miracle, anything can happen in the midst of that miracle. So even though normally, naturally, the flowers should have fallen off, but they still remained. And the matayaron that was put for posterity, for eternity, into the urn, laedus, as a testimony to that miracle that was done for Aaron Cohen. had the flowers, had the budding, and had the almonds <coughs> on it, and it was put into the urum. Now, the said the Rosh Yeshiva because by Goyim, it's only the bottom line that they're interested in. If a person worked his head off and with sweat and with intention and with everything to do something, and it didn't happen, if it was a Dover Shebekdusha or was a worthy item, we give him credit. You worked for two years, you tried, you toiled. We don't just look at the bottom line. Did you succeed? Did you bring out what you were working to bring out? Uh, the Goyim, that's how they look at a thing. Did the guy succeed or not? What is he today? And he was a professor for 30 years, beautiful. And he was making $200,000 a year, wonderful. What is he now? He's struggling for a living, that's failure. I, for 30 years, he was teaching students and he was doing this and he was doing... That doesn't count. But by Yidden, it does count. And if a person toiled, and at the end of his life, he lost his business and he couldn't give all the tzedakah that he used to give and he couldn't have the orchim or he couldn't do the things that he did throughout that were very praiseworthy... And then suddenly he was put in a, a tight position. We look at his whole life's work and it becomes commendable and it becomes worthy of the accolades that we extend to the person because of what he did. So said Ramosha that the flower that falls off under a natural situation, that's how the going would feel. Well, the flower fell off, so that's, we're not even talking about that. We're only interested in the budding or the almonds. But by Aaron, he wanted to show that the flower stays on forever, representing the efforts of life. And it doesn't fade away. And it's not part of the almonds, but because it was in the process of worthiness, it remains forever as a tribute to the person who did it. And that's why the flowers, when it went in to the Oran Kodesh to remain there together with the Pach of, of uh, Mon, that they didn't have, and the things that Hashem wanted Kaisel to remain and to remember that it remained there, it had the flowers on it also. Now, there is a world famous question that is asked 
Why is it that at the end of this story with the staffs and that it says the last three words, Vayiru, that all the Shivtekar, meaning the 12 represent, saw what happened, Vayiru, they saw Aaron blossomed and everything. Vayikhu Ishmatev. And every one of the children ran and took their staff and brought it back to their shepherd, to their tribe. So the Kasha asked is, why were they so happy to go take their staff back? The staff showed that they failed. And there's a didn't blossom. Theirs didn't blossom. Aaron's blossom. So why go take it and bring it back to show everyone if it was a failure, you should be embarrassed to show it to them. But the Mephorshim say that this clicked, and that's why we don't find any further challenge to the leadership of Moshe or Aaron ever again. That this story with the, with the staffs, with the sticks, it clicked and it remained in place as a successful story of reinforcing and re-validating the leadership of Moshe and Aaron. So what's said is that great people, for the sake of unity and successful unity, are willing to show that they made a mistake. So they took the staff to run back to the shape and said, yes, my, my rod did not succeed. It didn't blossom, so I'm not the one that should have been chosen. And in the name of unity, that now Kalei would be unified under the banner of Moshe and Aaron, that they went running back by Yeru. Oh, they saw their staff had no success. That each Nasi brought back to his Shevet with an announcement by showing that his staff did not succeed and brought it back to, to call yourself to each Shevet to say, well, you see, we lost, and now we have to really unify under the banner of Moshe and Aaron. So that's why they went and took it back, because it clicked, and they realized that it was such validation of their leadership that they wanted Klausel to remove all this negativity and all this bad feeling that they were questioning and they felt there wasn't proof. Even with the 250 dying, the next day they were after Moshe again. Didn't prove the point. But this did prove the point. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, in his discussion, before they were killed, the Bnei Koirach, he said, I didn't take any gift ever from them. So the Chazal say, um, because if somebody took a gift in his lifetime from somebody, that he could never be zoichet to the Shem HaMafoyrish, to have the power of using the... Shem HaMafarish, the one and only divine name in doing miracles. And as a matter of fact, the Gemara says that there was somebody named Pinchas that when they asked him to use the Shem HaMafarish for something, he said, I can't because I'm a Koyen, I took trum, I took gifts. Once you take a gift, you're disqualified from using the Shema Mephorosh. So Moshe Rabbeinu made this, he wasn't bragging, I never took a gift. He took 
he made the statement that he had the power to do what he was doing with the Shema Mephorosh. He killed the Mitzri, did things in his lifetime, using it because I never took a gift from them. And I was able to effectively use it for Klal Yisrael and be able to do whatever I was doing. So we take away that you can have, you can see, you can go out of Mitzrayim and see the sea split. You can see the biggest miracles that they saw Moshe Rabbeinu do, doing, turning all the oceans and seas and rivers into blood and doing all these miracles. And we can still question the leadership because human frailty that we have, if something bothers us or something we don't like or something that we don't agree with, we could turn over the world. Oh, so what, this, that. What you just got done in your lifetime seeing, that wasn't enough for you to be convinced Hashem sent him. But this person teaches that you can't always know that. And it doesn't always come your way because of your human frailty. And we are subjected to pull out the carpet from situations when we are wrong. People in a shul could take a rov who's teaching Torah and has the biggest chus of Torah and is learning all day. And the rov says something or does something, oh, now everything out the window. They're questioning the rov. They want to fire him. They want to... Because that's human frailty. We don't open our eyes up to reality and we don't benefit from that reality and then it comes back to haunt us. The Rabbanu Shalom should help. Today was Rosh Chodesh Thomas that as the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe when he was freed from prison said Yud Beis Thomas and uh, Yud Gimel Thomas that these are special days unique for miracles. I, the Arizal, said that it's a month of weakness and it's not mazel, but the Territ says Klal Yisrael has the power to rise above the occasion and turn it into pure mazel and lamala min hateva. Have a very good week. Bracha v'hatzlocha.